You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast, where we dig into dealing with those pesky weeds. Welcome to the Weed Smart Podcast. Today we're catching up with some of our Weed Smart Extension agronomists to chat about stopping weed seeds set ahead of harvest. We'll be joined by Greg Condon, who will co-host today, Chris Davey and Paul McIntosh. And our focus will be on crop chopping and desiccation. So Greg does join me. How are you going, Greg? I'm going well, Jess. How are you? I'm really good. Now, we are going to be doing a bit of a pre-harvest chat. Obviously, it's different for people in the north. Some people are finishing up harvest in that part of the world. But, uh, yeah, it'll be good to get into the details for each region uh, for crop chopping and desiccation. But before we do that, we do have some exciting things to announce. Uh, Greg, you're going to be talking at the Crop Protection Forum, which is coming up next month. Can you give us a bit of a rundown on this event? It's probably more focused for agronomists but we do know quite a few agronomists listen to the podcast as well. It's a unique event. It's a collaboration between uh, ARI in terms of a weed perspective, so the Herbicide Resistive Initiative in UWA, CCDM, which is a Curtin University uh, initiative around, um, I guess, uh, crop disease influences, and then CESA, so the entomology uh, group out of Melbourne. So they collaborate on this event. It's been running for quite a few years now. It's been... To Perth, it's been to Dorby, it's uh, coming to Wagga for the second time, we've been down to uh, Moama one year, so it's a really unique opportunity because it's uh, where all the, the top researchers from around the country come for one, I guess it's a, uh, as, as a high-powered sort of event to bring agronomists up to speed on, on what these researchers are working on and what's really topical in the space. Definitely. And I'll put the link to get tickets for that in the show notes, but one worth checking out. And if you're in that Wagga area, and also we have our, uh, another event, a Weed Smart event coming up. We have mentioned it on Twitter and Facebook, and we have mentioned it in passing on the podcast, but tickets are officially on sale for our Dolby Weed Smart Week event, which you'll also be at, Greg. Can you give us a brief overview of what's happening at Weed Smart Week Dolby? Yeah, well, the Queenslanders had an event in uh, Emerald a few years ago, which Jess, I think you went to. So looking to uh, bring that a little bit further south to the Darling Downs area with Paul McIntosh's uh, help and his uh, local steering committee of uh, agronomists and and researchers and the like. So a similar, uh, I guess, forum to what we do with other events in Mildura and and Esperance. So where it's a mix of uh, growers, uh, advisors and researchers to a degree uh, going through some really topical issues but practical options so rather than just talking about weeds that a lot of forums do focus on actually coming up with things that on farm practices that will help mitigate the weeds but maintain profits so Mm. it's um, probably a little a little bit less about weeds and more about the crops so to quote Steve Powell (laughs) so it's it's good that it's very diverse the farming systems in southern Queensland of course but uh, it will encompass uh, people from northern New South Wales as well who have similar Farming systems revolving on summer crops and winter crop and then the fallow in the middle. So that is, uh, yeah, destined for Dolby in December. So looking forward to that uh, agenda being finalised and some of the uh, the speakers coming together and farm tour as well. 
Yeah, the program is looking pretty good and we should have that up on the website by the end of the week. Early bird uh, sales are on until the end of this week, so October 23rd on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, if you're happy to jump in before all the details about the event are released and, and save some money, it will be an excellent event. And, uh, yeah, if you get your ticket this week, you'll get a bit of a bargain. So definitely jump on that. The link to that will be in the show notes. But, Greg, we're going to get into the crux of what we're talking about today, which is a bit of a pre-harvest chat bit of a rundown on what's going on in each of the regions it's been very wet where you are at the moment can you give us just a bit of an overview of what's happening in in your patch first well there's a few stories uh, so we've had a very wet uh, a sequence of years and it's culminated with this year so high rainfall across a lot of central southern new south wales northern victoria uh, and it's come off the back of a wet uh, wet summer and, and really mild conditions so the profile never really emptied after last year's big crops so it's mm. quite uh, quite rare actually and then a really um i guess persistent rainfall pattern right throughout the year so there's in terms of crop growth you've got two distinct areas so those crops that are on well-drained soils look amazing and look really good it's been a challenge getting disease management onto them and nutrition but a lot of growers have done a great job where they've had the opportunity and then secondly there's the uh, the waterlogged areas so that encompasses i guess clay soils floodplain areas uh, even in high rainfall areas where you've got soaks and springs coming out of uh, out of the hills and and causing water logging so it's uh, a lot of those areas are limited to be sown in the first place and then you've got other areas where the water logging has have come in late as well so it's a bit of a hodgepodge of uh, of crop health and yield mm. potential so uh, getting the crop off will will be a challenge is that we're still sort of undergoing flooding at the present time but uh, yeah, it'll um, it'll just be a, I guess that from a weed perspective, we've got which we'll talk about um, quite a lot of weed blowouts and uh, potential crop desiccation required. But also um, trafficability is is quite a, a massive issue. So we can use area support in some scenarios, but in other cases, uh, we'll just possibly actually have to leave some paddocks untreated. So mm. it's a case by case uh, situation, Jess. Yeah, certainly. Greg, it sounds like it's pretty challenging in your patch at the moment then. So what does that mean for people who need to be thinking about crop topping their canola then? Yeah, well, not only crop topping canola, Jess, but it's all crops. So you've got a combination of events that happened. So as I mentioned, it's, it's sort of been a really wet start. Uh, people um, had some early crops went in okay, but the, the main season crops were uh, were delayed. So we've lost uh, quite a bit of crop competition. So normally late season, the, the crops come through and, and provide competition Against things like um, you know, loose strife and sow thistle that aren't significant in in the in the presence of cereals or, or canola, but they've been able to get through because the crops have uh, struggled to to compete and and be fed properly. So the preems worn off uh, quite early, so they didn't have the effectiveness that they normally did. Uh, and some growers, unfortunately, have been unable to complete any post em spraying. Mm. Just it's been t too wet, and and sort of the the input costs have been a little bit tricky to juggle so anyone has good well-drained country or areas they can get on have, have invested in those crop areas and with with good results and then others uh, where, where the marginal outcomes could be um, you know, unknown due to, to waterlogging risk or overland flooding um, have held off so uh, those, those areas are also very very weedy so we've um, coming up with solutions around different crops so canola uh, as you asked, is uh, is probably going to get more crop topping done this year than we have in recent times. So we've grown two really good crops the last two years, and uh, it's been quite difficult to to get herbicide down to control weeds. But this year we're looking 
to use it. Um, primarily, uh, glyphosate will be the, the product of choice, uh, and that'll sort of have two roles, cleaning up some of those uh, late-season weeds, but also um, stopping seed set and uh, helping um, yeah, improve some maturity and crop evenness. Yeah, okay, excellent. And what about what about some of the other crops? What's happening in for wheat, for example? Yeah, wheat largely still stay untouched. We've got some late season 2,4-D might go out uh, to control um, broadleaf weeds. I think she's seen wild radish uh, flowering in wheat crops uh, yeah, right. this, this year, which we rarely see given the, the lack of um, control in areas due to trafficability. Barley is second after canola in terms of uh, there will be more crop topping done in that feed barley sense. So... Uh, they're targeting particularly ryegrass. It's been a really big ryegrass year. Seed banks have unfortunately built up over the last three wetter years. So the timing on that is is sort of well known. So people will be looking at that, uh, I guess, 25 to 30% you know, grain moisture and, and using a glyphosate, a registered glyphosate product to target a, a feed barley market. So that, that will sort of be culminating in um i suppose as the crops start to dry down but again uh trafficability is an issue so um mm. people will just um, be juggling that around aerial applications as well so um a lot of this needs to be accounted for in in label uh within label restrictions and mrls which are, are really are really important and, and from the outset i'd probably want to mention um there's a technical good guide from the GRDC, which is actually a fact sheet which is updated again this year so um no doubt you'll include that in the show yes. notes yes yep. but it's really it's a really comprehensive document that goes into a lot of detail around what is registered and what is not so we've talked about canola already uh, we've talked about barley so it's not just you know saying to the agronomist can you come out and check whether i can put some glyphosate over my barley to um control some ryegrass there's the timing issues the the market segregations that they can go or cannot go into uh, so that that's really important the next group of crops is pulses so this is a lot more complex and a lot more difficulty around individual crop types and something you need to sort of consider in quite a lot of detail as to what product you're going to use. So obviously glyphosate on pulses means, and, and the same with barley, but those crops can't be retained for seed use, but also the end users have quite a lot of restrictions around it. So a paraquat is generally preferred in pulses. Generally that's yeah, a bit more mill flexibility and timing wise as opposed to glyphosate, but yeah, they're both, both registered and uh, safflufenosol, which is known as a sharpen on a commercial sense, is also commonly used in, in the pulse sense. So look at your individual pulse types. Like a lot of difference between crop topping, say lupins with paraquat compared to lentils or faba beans, uh, which, which might need a um, you know, the safflufenosol sharpen mix to uh, improve the broadleaf control. So like talking about with the canola, just late season weeds are proliferating in some of these pulses due to a lack of crop competition. And we see southeast soil in particular coming through and, and will require some some treatment to allow the crops to, to dry down but or, or desiccate down and secondly, mm. can control the weeds. So there's, yeah, it's just a really mix of crop types and, and weed burdens. And uh, uh, I think the crop topping tool is, is quite a handy uh, addition to the late season side of things. And a lot of growers haven't, probably done a lot in recent years, particularly in the canola space. So we are very conscious of resistance profiles around late season glyphosate use uh, in the absence of any follow-up. So we encourage people to sort of look look at what their, their post-crop topping options are. Uh, ideally, we'd love to see some harvest weed seed control and there will be some narrow windrow burning uh, reintroduced this year, believe it or not. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, I've heard of that a bit, yeah. 
So Weed's might have put out the uh, the drawings from the Messina's uh, mm. shoot, so which is uh, which is great. It's still it's it's been done strategically, not not across wide wide areas of the landscape. And there's a slow uh, adoption of impact mills in our part of the world, uh, which is slowly uh, gaining momentum. And then there's a few that will do a bit of chaff taking. So. Uh, the harvest weed seed control is really important, particularly if you can complement, say, a crop top in, in barley with, with an impact mill. It's just a dynamite combination. So anything that has got through from the year is uh, is, is treated with an end-of-season uh, crop top and then uh, cleaned up with the impact mill. But, um, yeah, that permit is still in place. And whilst ever it is, it's something that can be used strategically. Yeah, good tips, Greg. Now, we're going to hear from Chris Davey next, and he is based in the southern region. Uh, he's going to be focusing primarily on 2,4-D application, which you did mention, Greg. But do you have any other specific things you want to highlight around 2,4-D application before we jump into this chat with Chris? The really good points that Chris brings up is uh, the, the sensitive crop, so depending on where you are based in, in the country, and also that resistance testing, which we all know Chris is very passionate about. So, yeah, take note of his, of his comments around both of those points in, in regards to 2,4-D. Thanks, Greg. All right, let's take a listen. How are you going, Chris? Yeah, very well, Jess. Yeah, very busy time in the lead up to harvest. So, um, yeah, looking forward to giving a bit of an overview on uh, crop topping with 2,4-D. Excellent. Well, let's first have a bit of an overview of how the season has progressed for you in your region. It's been quite a wet spring. Can you walk us through the conditions you've been experiencing in your patch? Overall, it's been a, um, a really good year. And when I say that, the, the potential is high for all, all crops, uh, we haven't had the wet growing season that perhaps parts of WA and definitely Victoria and New South Wales have had, but uh, it has been just ideal for South Australia or the, the vast majority, and there have been areas like the Riverland and the Mallee that have enjoyed a, uh, a really almost wet year from start to finish, uh, as well as uh, Upper Air Peninsula. So some of those more marginal low rainfall zones, it's, it's really rewarding to hear that they're having a good season as well. Excellent. Uh, and what has the extra water meant for weeds popping up? Have you seen more weeds emerging than you normally would because of the wet spring? Most definitely, Jess. For a lot of SA, we actually had a very dry July, which after the fantastic wet start, that was good for a lot of areas just to dry out a little bit. But what we actually found, Jess, was that the wet start with the more mobile pre-emergence meant that they were f sort of washed through or they moved their way through the soil profile a lot quicker than normal. And what that meant is that their residual control periods on their respective weeds weren't as long as, as normal. So once they had sort of run out of their residual, August came along and we started to get some really good rains and that's been followed up in September also. So once the post-emergent spraying has gone and there's no chemical residual anymore, we have had a big flush of uh, secondary weed germinations through that spring, late winter period. And I'm finding I am very busy at the moment in just advising growers how they can best stop seed sets with a lot of those broadleaf and grassy weeds that are showing their heads up above the crop now. 
Yeah, and that kind of rolls into some farmers will be considering doing a 2,4-D application to deal with some of those broadleaf weeds. So let's have a bit of a chat about that. What uh, considerations do people need to be making if they're thinking about doing a 2,4-D application, Chris? I guess it's the first of the uh, options, I'll call them, for stop seed sets, uh, late chemical passes, Jess, earlier than the pre-harvest crop topping applications, which generally revolve around glyphosate or or paraquat for some of the broadleaf pulses. So the, the 2,4-D amine application is normally at that milky to firm dough stage of the, of the crop. And I guess stating the obvious, it's for broadleaf weeds only. So we're not targeting any brome or ryegrass uh, or grassy weeds with this particular chemical application. The key point for growers really is the actual chemical itself, 2,4-D being, I guess, known or having maybe a, a bad reputation in some areas for having uh, drift problems. So as an agronomist advising growers, we've got to try to mitigate the risk of any potential drift. And that starts with the application in terms of the droplet size, where we're looking through a boom spray uh, very coarse uh, being the very minimum size droplets that can be applied, which highly reduces any chance of risk uh, down as well. There are other areas which have time restrictions and they, and they predominantly, when you go into the eastern states where you've got mixed cropping or even double cropping each year, so you've got a, a wide range from your cottons to your grape vines to a lot of other crops which are highly sensitive to 2,4-D at this time of year. So growers have to be aware of their local uh, restrictions if there are any to apply 2,4-D. But there's also sensitive areas as well, which might be aquatic. It could be remnant vegetation, which is, is sensitive to that group of chemicals. And yeah, we've just mentioned other sensitive ag crops as well, which on the York Peninsula, for instance, is canola and lentils generally. So you have to abide by the, the buffer zones uh, for those particular crops. Another consideration for growers would really be the resistance status, if, if they know that. So to rattle off a couple of the common crops which have Group 4 or Group I resistance to 2,4-D, wild radish, Indian hedge mustard and milk thistle. So be aware that the result may not be what you want if, if you do have resistance to the group fours or two for the amine in those weeds but there are some uh, particularly that are i guess through the uh, the wimmera and then and york peninsula uh, region for lentil growers which are like by fora and tears which are becoming really problematic so this application just allows uh, the seed set of them to be stopped and, and help set up future lentil rotations as well yeah, good tips, Chris. And the resistance testing is something that you're pretty uh, vigilant with with your clients. How has it helped your clients uh, with their with their uh, planning for you know spraying and that kind of thing? Yeah, it's it's quite applicable uh, to this particular discussion, Jess, because we do have wild radish that uh, does have an element of of group four or two four D resistance. Just to the, the north on Upper York Peninsula, I'll call it, we had the, the first known case of 2,4-D resistance in Indian hedge mustard. 
milk thistles are, are obviously wide, widely known for uh, group four resistance. And we're, we're now testing things like tears and, and bifora, mainly for group B resistance. So from both angles, Jess, if, if we know that a weed is already resistant to 2,4-D amine, then we're not going to do much of a job in controlling that, that seed set. But there are other weeds that have developed other group resistance, like those ones mentioned, Bifora and tares, that uh, this particular application will really help stop the seed sets and, um, yeah, just set the crop up and, and the rotation for future years. Excellent, Chris. And is there anything else people need to be thinking about around harvest time that you'd want to share with people in your region, with growers in your area? I guess for anyone that's uh, looking for a 2,4-D application to stop those broadleaf weeds uh, setting seed, it's probably just some due diligence, I guess, Jess, that you really need to keep good records of uh, when you've applied it and what the conditions were like just on the off chance that, you know, there is a problem down the track with a, a sensitive crop. And also, mate, people aware, like New Farm are good supporters of, of Weed Smart, and they've got a product uh, just being released, actually, called Drop Zone. So it's really nice to have not only chemical companies, but partners in, in Weed Smart that are developing products specifically for this particular case where they're looking to reduce the risk of, of drift and I think their terminology is is spray droplet optimization. So bringing the, the droplet spectrum uh, in from sort of 150 to 720 microns, which means there's far less chance of any droplets being outside of, of that range. And therefore, the 2,4-D is staying put as such and, and not disappearing off target. So there's, there's other drift reduction uh, products in the 2,4-D range out there, which all, all look to reduce that spray drift. But it's nice that there is a lot of research into this key matter of, of spray drift with the, the 2,4-D products. So um, thankful that there has been a, a lot of research and, and trial work done in that area. Definitely, Chris. And I'll put some resources in the show notes as well around spray efficacy and getting spraying right too, which might be helpful for people to go back and just do a bit of a check over as well if they're feeling like they need just a bit more material on it. But Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. Hope harvest goes well in your part of the world. And yeah, thank you so much for giving us an overview and all those important information details on 24D application. No worries at all, Jess. Uh, and for all the growers, I hope they have a really smooth harvest. And for a lot of areas, I hope it stops raining soon for them. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much, Chris Davey, for that overview and going into some of the details around spray application of 2,4-D. And Greg, it's something we've been chatting as, uh, about as a group is spray efficacy. Why is it so important that we uh, get back on track with talking about this particular topic and, and getting spray application right? Well, Chris highlighted it beautifully there in, in detail, as he always does, about the due diligence we need to be aware of when using something like 2,4-D. I guess it is a, a product that can cause off-site damage. The industry as a whole has lifted its game, um, particularly with, uh, I guess, the adoption of coarse nozzles, boom height awareness, a lot of spray application training. But I think it's something we can do better. And Weed Smart as a group and there's other, other groups out there looking to uh, lift... Um, 
I guess the standard of which we operate our spray application yeah practices at so that's that's an ongoing focus of of a lot of groups in, including us so uh, if if you're using 24D like Chris said uh, be really conscious of of your practices Definitely. All right. Well, up next, we're going to be heading back up to the northern region to hear from our northern extension agronomist, Paul McIntosh. Now, they're in a different part of the process, uh, having already, uh, yeah, harvesting and then they're probably going to some of them might go into summer cropping but it's pretty wet up in that region as well maybe not as wet as parts of victoria and, and new south wales but yeah some challenging conditions there as well what stood out for you from paul's chat greg yeah quite interesting about the really mild conditions they've had i guess the whole nation has experienced that but that's uh, contributing to really big bulky faba bean crops for example so that's helping with some some competition that long cool spring and and the yields from central queensland are pretty exciting very uh, exciting yeah yeah well well done to them and uh the um yeah i guess as the harvest slowly moves south what options they have with either crop topping or just harvest in general yep all right well let's jump in and hear from paul mcintosh how you going paul um well thanks jess now we're going to be talking about conditions in your region at the moment. Obviously, the north is a bit different to the other parts of the country who are about to head into harvest. You've had lots of rain in your region. Can you talk us through what's been going on in your patch? Well, a lot of rain is an understatement, Jess. It's certainly very wet. And I guess uh, I exclude the central Queensland guys that finally they've come up with some really good weather for their winter crop. And they've got a, a, a boomer of a winter crop up there, Jess and uh, CQ. And we're talking about yields up to you know, up to six tonnes of the hectare in their wheat paddocks, which is just quite re remarkable. Wow. And I heard even that one that's higher than that. So, you know, when you're talking about six tonnes of the hectare for wheat in Central Highlands, that's pretty good. And, uh, and of course, the chickpeas up there, we have, there's not too many of the pulse crop, the chickpeas around up this year, but even they are doing something like, uh, you know, four to four, four to four and a half tonne to the hectare of yield of chickpeas, which is oh. not too bad. So I'm really pleased with our central Queensland farmers and agronomists up there, Jess. They, they battle along. They've been battling on with the dry weather up there for a lot longer than the, the rest of us have been, and mm. they've finally clicked some, some good weather. So Excellent. full marks to them. But as far as harvest on, they're about maybe 20% through up there in CQ as far as harvest goes. So they'll have issues with weeds and all that sort of stuff, and uh, no doubt I'll be up there in Central Highlands uh, uh, next month, and I'll hear a lot more about what weed control they're doing up there and all that sort of stuff. So as you move down there and come south of the Tropic of Capricorn or south of the Dawson River into South Queensland, we're pretty wet, but we're not as wet as the poor guys in northern New South Wales, Jess. And uh, South Queensland, we've got some pretty good crops and we've had some pretty good hail storms, and unfortunately that doesn't, help good crops. I'm, sometimes I'm convinced that hailstorms are bred by having good crops underneath them, Jess. It's yeah. just cynical, I know, but certainly yeah. some of the early barley that's coming off is coming off at, you know, four and five and six under the hectare, which is pretty good. Bit bit damp, bit moist the grain is, but certainly some good crops of barley. But in other areas, we just can't get anywhere near the, the paddocks in South Queensland to do anything remedial. And of course, you know, you, you can't do anything much getting on the paddocks. And of course, what comes along then? Armyworm. And what also comes along? Heliothus. So we've got Heliothus, Armidra and Armyworm in our wheat paddock particularly and in our barley paddocks, eating the wheat and eating the barley. So they don't just inhabit faba beans and chickpea crops that we've got here, they also inhabit the wheat and the, bar and the barley crops. So oh, good. there's a lot of spraying been going on those crops. So there's some terrific yielding crops out there if we could ever get some dry weather. And, of course, the other thing, Jess, is that I was putting in mind was this, this cool spring, like, it's really kept our faba bean crops growing and they're really big bulky crops you know, 28 degrees, they 
So they chop off their uh, flowering and, and, and potting. And, of course, our wheat crops, you know, they've got this 35 and, and, and uh, 15 degrees. So once those temperatures get over 35 degrees in the day and 15 degrees at night, the grain development slows to stop. And so we've had this really beautiful, cool spring, long-time spring. So everyone's every crop's enjoying it, except the rain has been a bit much, which you can't please us all the time. And then, of course, yes, you're going to northern New South Wales, central New South Wales, and Oh, dear, oh, dear. It's awful wet down there. And when you hear people, you know, a couple of thousand hectares of chickpeas and they're losing 70% of them due to the, the wet weather, uh, it's not good. And there's a lot of water running around there. And you, we see it on Twitter all the time from Stephen Gibson down there and other guys. And I guess they just got to wait it out and see where they go. But mm. it's pretty wet. And, of course, you know, summer crop going in down there. Was, October's a great time to plant summer crop in a lot of those areas up here in the north. And uh, it's a bit wet. Yeah, no so, Summer crops being delayed, the winter harvest is being delayed, and everyone just, we, we were dry for so long, we hate to say it, but gee, we wish it could stop raining right now for about six or eight weeks. Yeah, and obviously, you know, that's going to pose other issues down the track. There'll be a lot of soil moisture in, you know, in the soil profile. Any tips around later on for weed management, Paul? Oh, uh, Jess, the phone call I had just before you, you came on was about someone who's got weeds and can't get onto it. You know, we've, we've really heavily adopted the optical spot sprayers uh, from uh, Weed at, uh, Weed at IT, but uh, we certainly just still need to get on the paddocks for, for those machines to go over. So we control, we say, you know, get them early because spraying those small weeds in there early, the resistance hasn't kicked in too much. They're a lot easier to kill and all that stuff. We don't have to worry about drought and dry weather these days. We just can't get on them because of the... Uh, because of the, how wet it is and uh, to use those particular machines that really give us good weed control and aeroplanes are so busy spraying uh, spraying heliothus and uh, and uh, in our wheat and barley paddocks and fungicides that they've got no time to go and spray a few weeds in our paddocks that's for sure so it's a really interesting time and, and not the best time because everyone wants there's a lot of money out there in those paddocks just so weed control it's just going to have to sit and wait in a lot of people's paddocks that are very wet until uh, till we get back on there with with their, their spray machines to do a good job. Yeah, right. And ryegrass, unfortunately, has entered the northern region. Uh, can you give us an update on what's happening in that space? Yeah, well, identifying is the first thing we do, Jess. We, we know that uh, northern New South Wales, and they've always had a bit of ryegrass sneaking in there, and they managed to deal with it because we mix and rotate, of course, and uh, with our summer and winter cropping, which is a pretty good way to get rid of some of these weeds. But, you know, up here with those years of dry weather, we had all the hay coming from down the south, Jess, and uh, some of my actual uh, sleuthing on some of these bales of hay that fell off a truck and all those sorts of things happened. We've got ryegrass going in, and that's annual ryegrass. We don't know where it actually came from. There's tests away to see what sort of resistant levels we have in this ryegrass that's dotting up all around South Queensland, but we haven't got those tests back yet. So we're uh, we're assuming the worst that they could be resistant to nine modes of action up here. So that's really putting a lot of uh, concern amongst our farmers where we're finding ryegrass plants where there's been no hay fall off a truck or anything like that. So we're very concerned about annual ryegrass being up here in table drains, in paddocks, overland flow, as you know, with the water going across the land, takes these seeds. So we're really putting a fair effort into first identifying it, second, uh, advising people what to do, and, and thirdly, take some really good remedial action when they can about annual ryegrass and stopping it from going to seed. Yeah, okay, Paul. Good tips. Now, is there anything else before we wrap up that you'd like to share with growers for your region? 
No, but we're going to have a week smart uh, at Dolby, Jess, in, uh, on the 6th and 7th in December, and we've got some great lineup of speakers there, as you know, and uh, and uh, so we've got some tremendous speakers, and we've got a couple of days of uh, looking at all things weed smart in the northern region, and that and is particularly centred around Dolby. So we've got some local farmers who are all good to listen to those fellas and people I've known for a long, long time, and, and uh, they'll be good to everyone to listen. So everybody, 6th and 7th of December, uh, Dolby Wheat Smart uh, Week uh, at the Dolby Showground. Uh, you better be there because you will learn heaps as we normally do when we do something with Wheat Smart. Definitely, Paul. And yeah, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, the uh, tickets link will be in the show notes for that one. But yeah, we're really looking forward to that. Thank you so much, Paul. Great to catch up. And yeah, not great news overall, but hopefully things improve, particularly for those people with the water in their paddocks. Yeah, we thought the drought was bad, Jess, and it was. It was pretty tough, but uh, this is the other side of the thing. We've spent a lot of money for these crops in the paddock and you just can't get out there to look after them or, or harvest them. That's the other side of the coin. Mm, fingers crossed things improve. Thanks, Paul. Fingers crossed. Thanks, Jess. Thank you so much to Paul McIntosh, our Northern Extension agronomist there. Uh, Greg, this is a bit of a theme, but uh, trafficability uh, is an issue for the Northern region as well as it is for your patch. Uh, any more comments on that and, and what we can do? Yeah, Paul mentioned the aerial operators are very busy as they are all around the well, our part of the world as well. But just the, uh, the spot spraying technology with the weed it's and weed seekers, for example, don't have, uh, yeah, can't get in and, and target those small weeds like they normally do. So they're probably not having the impact and they, they should at this time of year due to limited traffic ability. So as that improves, hopefully they can, can get back on and, and start getting some of that patch management uh, of, of weeds like Feathertop and, and others that are starting to germinate already. So some, some good comments from Paul. Yeah, definitely. And finally, we're going to be hearing from Peter Newman, who is in the Western region. He's our extension agronomist based in Geraldton. Sounds like a pretty good season so far for the West as well. Pete does keep bringing that up. Um, any comments on the chat with Pete, Greg? Yeah, we're just jealous, Jess. That's just, <laughs> yeah. They keep pulling off these amazing results in the West and, uh, yeah, give Pete a bit of stick, but uh, we are jealous that the Farming systems in the West have, have evolved over time and they, and when they do get some good seasons, they capitalise on it. So well done them. So it's really, uh, really exciting for the whole state to be looking at pulling off another record harvest. But yeah, Pete had some really good comments around uh, the season, really mild temperatures uh, and working with their agronomists to sort of pick some of the timing on, on crop topping and that uh, ever important MRL issue. Definitely. All right, well, let's jump in and hear from Pete Newman. In this interview, we're catching up with our Western Extension agronomist, Peter Newman. Usually he's in the co-host chair, but having a little bit of a break from that this time around. How are you going, Pete? Yeah, good, Jess. Oh, I'm a bit stressed out. I'm on the other side of the interview now. <laughs> I know. It's pretty much the same thing, though. So we're going to get from you a bit of a picture of how things have gone so far for uh, growers in your region, a bit of a pre-harvest chat, and also talk about you know some of the things growers need to be thinking about, and we'll be focusing on crop topping lupins and have a bit of a chat about canola and barley crop topping too. But can you just paint a picture for the listeners of how things have gone up until this point, Pete? Funny, Jess, because Greg Condon always gives me a hard time about saying best ever. And earlier in the year, I was <laughs> saying best ever start, best ever break in WA. And it was really, really good. And then we had this sort of dry spell through the middle of the season for quite a few people in July. And they were wondering whether they'd spend all their money on inputs and is the season going to go pear-shaped. But then we've had really good August rains, very mild spring and... The forecast from Giwa at the moment is for a similar crop to last year, which was a record, 
And I'm going to stick my neck out, Jess, and say we're going to beat that by a million tonnes. I think um, at least. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be pretty big in WA, I think, is my prediction. Pete, very bold prediction, but it sounds like you've got enough evidence there to make it. So that's very exciting if it all comes through as you're thinking. Now, some people in your region, you're a bit more north in that Geraldton region, so harvest has started for some people. Can you give us a bit of an overview of what will be the... Uh, the rollout of harvest in your patch? Yeah, Jess, harvest has started on some canola. So a lot of our canola is direct harvested, often desiccated with diquat before harvest. And so that has started. And early indications pretty huge. So the, um, I can just hear Greg Condon right now. <laughs> but the early indications are quite a few of our canola yields have yeah, been very big, maybe one and a half times what the growers were expecting. And that's the early canola. We'll wait and see how it progresses through harvest. But yeah, very, very big. And then a couple of growers that stuck their header into a little bit of wheat for a little bit of a test was also above expectations. So I think the in this part of the world anyway, Jess, it's it's reports are, that it's going to be very big. And, and we also had some frost last year in our central region. I guess we still are slightly in the frost window for some people. So hopefully we get through that. But so far, we haven't had a, a big frost event anyway. There's always a bit of frost, isn't there? But we haven't had that really big frost event. So yeah, it looks very positive. Oh, that's great. And you mentioned that the, you know, tonnage is higher than expected. Why do you think that you've been taken by surprise for some of those numbers that you're getting? I'm going to say it's the mild spring, Jess. We're looking at crops thinking, you know, that looks like a ton or oh, things are going a bit higher. Okay, let's call it 1.3 and then it goes 1.6, you know, of canola. And so it's sort of the crops are going better than they look. And I just think normally that's when you're just finishing the season with moisture and a very and very mild temperatures. Just haven't had that heat shock that we often get this year. So yeah, it's been a just a nice mild finish to the season and there was moisture underneath which was around from some good August rains. Yeah, right. Okay. And you mentioned desiccation. Obviously, people in your area in the northern part of uh, WA have already probably gone through that process, but it's big state. Any tips for desiccation for people further south? Yeah, well, the agros are really well positioned to help growers pick that exact colour change of the canola for the timing of desiccation with reglone or, or diquat. So I won't sort of step into their realm there, but um, direct harvest has become very common. What I did hear, though, is that reglone supplies are tight, so people that had planned to desiccate and had their orders in will be fine, but others, you know, if you hadn't sort of planned to to desiccate and you didn't have a reglone order in, then you might struggle to get the chemical. And so if that is the case, there's going to be some crops where we're just waiting for it to naturally mature, which is okay. I guess we're just hoping that the, the weather is kind in that instance. Yeah, for sure. Now, crop topping lupins is an important part of the process for many WA growers to stop weed seed setting. Can you walk us through some tips for this, uh, this practice, Pete? Yeah, Jess. So crop topping with paraquat is common practice for lupins to stop ryegrass seed set, mostly ryegrass. It's one of those things where you get the window opens up some years and not so much others. So sometimes the ryegrass is flowering to milky dough just and the lupins have fully done their thing. They've dropped their leaves and they're nearly ready to harvest. And that can vary a lot season to season and also can vary from 
just down the road to where you are, if you know what I mean. So, so it really is just a matter of assessing every crop. And when the window is open, growers normally take that opportunity. But if the lupins are a bit green and the ryegrass is getting on in its maturity, it's just something that, that growers then often just leave out. So it's very much uh, an opportunistic thing. When there's ryegrass, it's at the right stage and the lupins are 80% are leaf drop or greater or even into maturity, they can take advantage of it and stop seed set. The other change this year is that Crucial, which is a glyphosate formulation, is now registered for crop topping lupins. So that's new. And so that is another option that growers have too. Excellent, Pete. And what do growers need to be considering in regards to MRLs this year? Well, we have a premium market in Europe, Jess, where the MRL is very, very low. This is for lupins. And so the MRL for lupins in Australia is one milligram per kilo. And the MRL in Europe is 50 times less than that, 0.02. So it's a funny thing. It's legal for growers. It's on the label. Growers are allowed to use paraquat to crop top lupins. But if they do it, we're risking... You know, if they do it early, for example, we're risking having high residues, not high, with below one milligram per kilo, but above the European MRL. So we're at risk of losing that market. So CDBH have done some really good work in the last couple of years. They've done some trials and come up with some recommendations to growers to help out, to help understand what they can do. And the simple one is, to, I mean, it's timing. So we've always said 80% leaf drop for lupins at 800 mils per hectare being the, the maximum rate. And if they do that, we are still above the MRL. But when they delay crop topping of lupins to full maturity, so that's all the leaves have turned brown essentially on the plant, they are managing to get the residues below that European MRL. So delaying the crop topping a little bit, sticking to the maximum of 800 mils per hectare or even a bit less if you can, but really we need to kill the weed. So if you're crop topping, it's probably sticking to that 800 mils per hectare. But also other things just like patching out, like just doing the weedy areas to get the sort of make sure we get that whole stack average below that that very low MRL of 0.02 milligrams per kilo. Good advice, Pete. And what about crop topping canola and barley in WA? What advice do you have there? Well, the, obviously the herbicide there for feed barley is, is glyphosate. My understanding is that permit is still active and is quite a bit of crop topping of canola can happen with glyphosate to stop some seed set. It's it's a registered practice. It's all okay to do it. I just always have that bit of warning that this is a big selection pressure for glyphosate resistance. We know that if a weed is resistant at the sort of seedling stage, it's also resistant at that crop topping stage. And so that's a big selection event because it's the last thing you do that year in the paddock. So just really a reminder to growers that that you're putting a big selection event there. Sometimes it really makes sense and and you really need to do it. You might have a a paddock full of flowering ryegrass and the barley is at the the crop topping stage of of less than 28% moisture in the seed. And so so you go for it, you know, growers would pull the trigger. But following up with something like harvest weed seed control is the best thing you can do. But just, I guess, just just a reminder, that's a big selection event for glyphosate resistance. No, yeah, that's good to remind people. And before we wrap up, Pete, is there any, any other tips or any other considerations you want to share for growers going into harvest? Oh, firstly, Jess, I just wish them a, a safe harvest, but also just a reminder that when you've got those big tons, there can be the temptation to just push that lever forward and harvest as fast as you can. But some of the workshops I've been involved in recently with the harvest setup workshops with that GRDC 
funded project there we just know that if you if you do just push that lever forward and you don't have the harvest to set up for it you can you know shovel a lot of grain out the back so yeah a big focus on harvest setup this year Jess use drop trays to measure make sure that you've got acceptable losses below one percent and yeah we've grown this crop we may as well harvest as much of it as we possibly can Awesome, Pete. All right, well, yes, fingers crossed for a safe and successful harvest for everyone in WA and uh, obviously across the country as well. Thank you so much for taking your time today to have a chat with me. Thank you to Peter Newman there. Now, Pete did talk about MRLs. What are your thoughts around ensuring that you get this right as a grower? Do you have any tips for people? Well, we do promote ourselves as a clean and green producers of of grain and, and other commodities. So we've really got to walk the talk and uh, yeah, the, the Lupin example around the European MRL compared to the Australian MRL is a classic example. So there's yeah, there, there's some pretty tight restrictions in that space and growers have got to be really conscious of, of their rates and application timing. And uh, and as we've known with growers here locally, if, if they are in doubt, they, they don't spray. So it's, mm. it's sort of looking at, at other tools like uh, swathing or windrowing to sort of take some of the pressure off those uh, off those chemical options, probably not always as effective on the weed seeds, but certainly something they can use to uh, to ensure they don't compromise the MRL targets and those premium markets they're looking to get into. So, yeah, some great advice from Pete as always. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you to all of our extension agronomists and including yourself, Greg, for jumping on and giving that overview. We've got some pretty cool content as well available this month. Uh, We've got a new article that Cindy Benjamin, our content producer, has pulled together. Uh, And this one's all about, can collecting weed seed make me money at harvest? So this is a question we answer in uh, this month's Ask an Expert. So Peter Broly, who is the GRDC Harvester Setup Workshop Projects Coordinator and also the CEO of Primary Sales Australia talks about harvester setup and minimising grain losses, uh, leading to maximising your weed seed capture. And Greg, you've been involved in these harvester workshops. Can you give us a bit of an insight into how they've been going? Amazing, a uh, huge roll-ups countrywide. So from Queensland, uh, New South Wales. They've just heard from Yana. She's been doing a recent lap around um, southern um, Victoria, South Australia, and even Tassie, and then across to the west. So I'm not sure total grower numbers, but yeah, uh, unprecedented the roll-up they've been getting because growers are so keen to obviously harvest their crop uh, quite efficiently, but also minimise the losses and then see if there's an option to uh, yeah get some harvest weed seed control in the mix as well. So all credit to the team that organised those workshops and. And it's a it's been a really good shared learning experience. So you've got uh, collaboration from Ben White in in Kandinen, who is uh, an all known all around rock star, and mm. then um, yeah Brett Aspar and and Cassie Van Westerhuizen. Like just that, those three individuals alone, plus the growers contributing during the day, it was a very effective uh, extension and communication uh, platform that GDC have invested in. So well done to everyone involved. Yeah, it sounds really exciting. And so if you want to get a bit of an insight into the things that were discussed at those events, uh, I'll give the link to that article in the show notes. We've also got a new regional update with Western Region farmer Carl Suckling. So he's just finished an expansive soil amelioration project on his farm, which has been really successful, but it has meant he's had to take a break from growing lupins. So he explains his approach in this podcast and expands on what he will be considering in the future for weed control at his place. So that one is worth listen as well so greg what's the best way for people to keep in touch with weed smart 
as always, you follow us on Twitter, which the group is quite active, and, and Facebook as well. Also, all the posts from our articles, videos, and podcasts that uh, go up on not only the website, but also these platforms that worthwhile people following. And there's some really good discussions that come up on um, on t- Twitter recently with uh, growers and, and agronomists. So, yeah, Chris Davey kicked off one around windrowing versus crop topping, which I thought was really interesting, some of the replies that, that came in from people around the country. You can also sign up for the monthly news- newsletter. So the Weed Smart Whip Around, it gives uh, an update on all the new content and uh, you can actually click on and see what's relevant to you or what's happening around the country. Thanks, Greg. And thanks for joining me on the podcast today as the co-host. Don't forget, everyone, that early bird ticket sales for Weed Smart Week Dolby do end Sunday, October 23rd. So make sure you get your ticket this week. It's also a great help to get the word out about Weed Smart if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll only take you a couple of minutes. And if you haven't already, do make sure you're subscribed to the Weed Smart podcast on your podcast app of choice. But thanks so much, Greg. And hopefully everyone has a really good harvest and things go well and uh yeah the the moisture reduces <laughs> yeah now a safe harvest to everyone around the country so in all the in all the different regions that we cover thanks greg <laughs>